0: You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The one week, uh, I was sent this image <laughs> earlier, so and it's really, it's, its forgive the hubris, it's actually more an opportunity to thank um, the librarians, to thank um, particularly Ashling, who really facilitated a lot of quick surveying and checking of materials um, in the weeks, in the years, I should say, the two years particularly since Covid. Um, I, I'm eternally grateful, um, I have to say, uh, and Ashley will always have a special place for, in my heart. <laughs> so, this morning then, I also want to thank the staff of Trinity. As I've said to some of you already, um, it's really special to be here at this key moment in the curating and guarding and making available of manuscripts and I find it experiencing it as a real moment of joy and celebration um, and to thank you for that as well. So Trinity College Dublin Manuscript 505 is probably best remembered for its townscape illustrations. A composite manuscript of two parts which seems to have come together quite soon in its history It contains a series of lists and or genealogies in the first part, um, and a prose brute in the second part. Most likely, it was composed in the late 15th century, possibly in two, if not three stints of work. Although the manuscript does seem to have been put together quite quickly, and there is a suggestion that some of the decoration across both manuscripts was a single campaign. And in truth, I'm just taking advantage of the beautiful images just pausing to look and to show. So you can see here that you know it's a fairly standard form of organising a genealogy, um, where you have the red, I think, representing the English side, the blue, the Welsh side, and I'll explain that connection in a minute, and then other sort of related um, parts and nationalities um, coming in uh, down along. You have that list of pre-Christian rulers. There's so many of these in the Trinity manuscripts, um, You have the list of Roman emperors and Christian rulers beginning with Christ, and then you have simply the prose brute. um, It's a completely different uh, layout. So you can see that it definitely is a composite manuscript. Unfortunately, little is known about its early provenance except to say that the genealogy from Noah to Edward IV is indicative of someone with Yorkist proclivities. I think uh, the Edward IV, and so this one um, speaks of him as a usurper, and the other then is like he's the true, uh, he's the true king of England. Um, we do know that the manuscript, however, was in the possession of, or at least accessible, to Lewis Dunn of Monmouthshire by the year 1593, and Scattergood describes him as a bard and genealogist. However. John Thompson takes it a step further to let us know that he was also a deputy to Robin Cook, the Clarence o King at Arms in 1585, and he was also associated with Narwhal King of Arms, uh, uh, so, so he, he was kind of associated with both of those heralds. In other words, Dunn himself, while not actually appointed a herald, worked as a herald, or was, was associated with, with heraldry. Many of us would assume rightly therefore that the genealogical material would have been in, of interest to him and Thompson captures the overlapping nature of his interests recognizing the scholarly approach in attempting to clarify the inherited status and titles of leading Welsh families and contextualizes him as one of the many genealogically inclined local scholars who went before or came after him who had a high regard for such archive work on British antiquities and regarded it as an important scientific contribution? Now, in the spirit of full and open disclosure, I'm less interested in a close examination of this particular manuscript. Um, that's not really what I'm about this morning. It's more when I went to look at it, realised its history, realised that it belonged to a herald that began to fit into some stuff that I've been thinking about, other manuscripts um, in the collection. So it's its survival as a manuscript that was either owned by or certainly in the possession of a herald that interests me. For in the TCD collection we have other manuscripts of this nature which, as Gattergood says about 505, demonstrate an obvious consonance of material. Both parts are concerned with chronology and history, with succession and title, and with continuity. And it's curious to learn that many of these 16th century heralds were also members of the College of Antiquaries, which was founded in 1585, and were historians, and some were even interested in alchemy and the occult. And for that reason, there are some manuscripts that I want to go back to again um, that I think might have been part of this circulation of material um, among, among the, the heralds. Through visitations, heralds had, by necessity, access to documents and old books, a debt that Dunn noted, cited in Thompson when he offers names of the aristocracy by whom I was permitted to see old records and books from religious houses that had been written and their materials collected by abbots and priors. So they're a step, at the time of the dissolution, they're a step between the manuscript being in the libraries and the manuscripts kind of, because say, fly a little book kind of going off out um, into the world, being scattered and disseminated. So for this reason, heralds, I argue, bit like yourselves, are among those responsible for the survival, preservation, and perhaps reshaping of many of the medieval manuscripts and texts that have survived from the Middle Ages. They're part of the cura- what I'll call the curatorial history um, of the manuscripts. We've quite a few of these heraldic manuscripts in Trinity, Abbott, I promised somebody a slide on Abbott this morning, Abbott identified in his 1902 catalogue a bunch of heraldic manuscripts, which he describes as 22 volumes of arms of various families of England, Ireland and Scotland with some French. The entry refers to manuscripts 456 to 477, and there are a few others there that um, we can add to that list. He does add a note, helpfully, some by Bartholomew Butler York Herald, but of course, some of you will know already that Butler was, in fact, the first Ulster king at arms, who was appointed in 1552. Abbott offers little more than a note. And for various reasons, these manuscripts were not surveyed in the 2021 catalogue. In fact, very little work has been done on them. On these or the other manuscripts in the collection. Um, I just have a very short list there that I found to date. However, as I hope to persuade you this morning, the role of heralds in the curatorial history of the manuscripts and texts, uh, and, and there has to be slight separation of that, I think, because a lot of the material that I'm looking at, a lot of these manuscripts that I'm talking about this morning, and only beginning to look at or study, they are 16th century manuscripts. There's a, there are exceptions, there's a few little stray bits in there. But it's the medieval text then, like they've kind of been transferred across into the 16th century, or copied across. And that happened during the great boom and heraldry of the late 16th century. And I think it's worthy of more study than has, you know, it has received um, heretofore. For example, I just did a quick survey. Uh, I noticed that in the third volume of the Cambridge History of the Book, doesn't, they don't even occur in the index, Okay? And I didn't have access to the fourth volume to check the index, but I could see that they're not part of the chapter headings. Okay? So let me start with an example. Manuscript 484, so a list of its contents. It's described as uh, in Abbott as a historical and heraldic collections. It contains a short chronicle beginning with Edward III's Siege of Calais, a poem of octate verses and the history of the kings in the same hand of the first item, a synopsis of John Stowe's 1580 chronicle, uh, another unidentified chronicle possibly copied from Grafton, um, uh, what else uh, another ceremonial that, that's a collection of texts describing how ceremonies should be performed like funeral rites and coronations etc in, uh, in a very particular hand which includes the rituals of the christening of Prince Arthur and Princess Mary and then there's, in the same hand as that there's a, a manner of a coronation of princes and queens in England now most of this material was in fact copied out in the 16th century However, for the IMEP, I chose to s- examine certain 16th century manuscripts, looking for later copies of medieval texts. And lo and behold, on folio 48 verso, 48 to 54 verse of manuscript 484, there was a 15th century description of the coronation of English kings and queens. Now, the page order of it isn't quite right, but it's most definitely 15th century, as you can see um, by the hand. But also, can you see it on the slide? There is, yeah, there's a very slight watermark here, and that has been identified, or I've identified that as Brique 2825. So he's the guy who, spe- you all know that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, it's, so it's a watermark which features in the Findern manuscript you know, important anthology of uh, Middle English poems, and in the letters of the Paston family, dated between 1444 to 1459. And then it seems that there's also a brute chronicle in Cambridge, and I just have to tie that down a little bit more. But it's just curious to see that, like already we have clues as to when, where, why, maybe, um, this particular little package... This little choir of material that slipped into the 16th and 17th century, uh, so-called 16th, 17th century manuscript, uh, you know, where it might have originated or, or circulated. And, and that, there's more work to be done, done there. So in the second example, in manuscript 518, I found a copy of the ceremonial for burying a king, and more t- specifically, a description of the burial of King Edward IV. And there are similar items in a manuscript I'll be returning to again, Manuscript 849, some of which seem to have originated in the ordinances of Margaret Beaufort and the Blue Book of Henry VI. Now, again, copied in a later hand, but there has to have been some transmission history there. Very quickly, these manuscripts are also replete with texts on heraldry, some, though not all, of which are medieval. These include an unidentified tract in manuscript 459 on the basics of heraldry, which covers the five colours to be used, beginning with sable and the partitions of the blazon. And as you can see, these are accompanied by a series of illustrated painted shields, which leads me to another point about the value of these manuscripts. Something noted by Henry (coughs) Woodhuisen on his book, um, on on Sydney, and Sydney's manuscripts, when he says, I believe the links between writing masters, engravers, heralds, painters and silversmiths deserve further investigation and I know already, for example, that Nicholas Narbon hired a painter to act as his assistant and Nicholas Narbon would have been the second Ulster um, King of Arms, so there's more, like there's lots of bits of overlapping information there. Now all of these, in all of these manuscripts we find interests that can be linked with the herald, or the antiquarian, or historian, which was not unusual, it seems. As I've said already, many heralds were members of the College of of Antiquaries. For example, Francis Thin, son of the Thin who produced the first early modern print edition of Chaucer's collected works, was appointed Lancaster Herald in 1602. And Carlson, writing about him, credits him with an ongoing exchange of document and information with other members of the society, including luminaries like John Stowe, Robert Cotton, and William Camden. And William Camden is known to many of us as an antiquarian of considerable note, who corresponded with James Usher of this parish. And he was also, of course, an historian and the writer of the Britannica. However, something that I hadn't realized is that Camden was also a herald. He was appointed Clarence O King of Arms in 1597. And commenting on Camden's engagement with the College of Antiquaries, where he presented several historical papers, Herondine observes there are well over a dozen such papers on heraldic matters and techniques, and in them we see the subtle conflation of the roles of antiquary and herald and their analysis by historians. And he goes on. And just I, I'm not I cut it out, okay? Also um, Uh, it's actually more um, sorry, thin was also into the occult and Carson makes some interesting observations that the kind of secrecy and the kind of looking for esoteric origins which is very much part of the heraldry, the office of heraldry establishing the office of heraldry also shows overlaps of course with the occult um, and that you often find people linking up are trying to get heralds to link up the um, astrological um, history of an individual with their um, heraldic uh, shield or arms or whatever. So it's clear then that heralds provide a network for the distribution of medieval manuscript materials and that they often worked from or within the College of Antiquarians. And the beauty is that many of these manuscripts show signs of provenance. The name of Bartholomew Butler the first Ulster King of Arms, appointed in 1552, appears in quite a few manuscripts. Nicholas Narbonne's name, the successor to Butler, appears on another manuscript in which his dad's name, John Narbonne, also a herald appears. And finally, we find Christopher Usher's name, the third third Ulster King of Arms, in manuscript 456. It is, however, curious to find the name of William Jennings, Lancaster Herald of Arms to Henry VIII in manuscript 849, which I think nobody knew, actually. This is a large paper ceremonial manuscript. It most likely came to Ireland with Nicholas Narbon, whose name also appears in the manuscript. But it looks like, uh, from the handwriting, the quick look that I've done on it, it looks like it actually did belong to Jennings. Um, and it would the dates of the funerals that are being described there would actually fit with um, Jennings' dates as that earlier part of the 16th century. I think it's an important find because William Jennings has already been associated with a number of key heraldic manuscripts, including Jennings Ordinary, held in the College of Arms in London, which is a late 14th century armorial made by Lancaster Herald for Henry, uh, Grossmont Duke of Lancaster, There's other manuscripts in the uh, College of Arms, and they can be connected up to an earlier Garter King of Arms. But in terms of guarding the manuscripts, you know, that that curatorial history of the manuscripts, he also owned a medieval manuscript with some romance material, which is now in the British Library, and also has an Anglo-Norman prose brute in it. So, like, he's collecting these. Like, he's part of that circulation of the materials, the reception of the materials, um, after uh, you know, once they've kind of been distributed through, um, following the, the dissolution, etc. Okay. Um, now, it's generally believed that the heraldic manuscripts came to Trinity through Usher's collection, though not 505. But I'm going to hastily skim through my notes, my my writing on that one to say. Think more about Daniel Molyneux, in fact, and think more about Daniel Molyneux's wife, who had to be sued for the papers. Okay, She held on to them after his death. Um, and they eventually then, but she was also the niece of, um, of, of James Usher. So it wasn't Christopher Usher, the nephew, it was the woman okay, there's the woman, it was the niece, right, I just love that detail, to she held on to them and she had to be sued um, to get to, to, for them to be returned to the office holder of the Herald of Arms, and eventually she held on to some others, including some material that she gathered from William Camden, and eventually they came, uh, they came to the Usher collection that way. There are also historical details hidden among the manuscripts, though of a more 16th-century nature. Now, just to recognize that. For example, the time of the death of Walter Devereux, the first Earl of Essex, a significant figure in the 16th century. His time of death is given, which is a detail that a colleague suggested that he had not seen elsewhere. I found a poem or a ballad, uh, supposedly about the life of a soldier in in Elizabethan Ireland. Um, the Life of an English Soldier in Elizabethan Ireland, which I'm currently writing up. And in another manuscript, I'm investigating the possibility that there's a detail of Henry VII's funeral, which has, from the little research that I've done, been deemed missing up to now. So it's replete with, it's full of little nuggets of information, okay? Keeping me busy for the next few the next few years, because I'm so slow with <laughs> all of this. Anyway, in conclusion... I hope that I have persuaded you of the value of these manuscripts and of the work to be done there. There are difficulties, not least the fragility. Sadly, they are paper. Okay, there are tons of lists of families and their arms that you have to kind of wade through unless you're interested in them. There is the question of the specialism of heraldry. This is for some of us like learning a new language. There's that crossover between periods. Uh, Some of these texts are medieval, but they're being read and copied in the context of 16th century England, which we have a tendency to shy clear of. There is the mix of texts with all the textual complexity of late medieval prose miscellanies, which have been copied, adapted, and possibly listened to, or just a series of notes. And others, like uh, Wagner, Moll, and Cooper, have all gone some way to identifying those. But I am reminded of G.A. Lester's observations Uh, in his article on the herald's narratives which he understood as hidden in manuscripts catalogue only as heraldic manuscripts yet to be brought to light however I would take a step further and suggest that for me the interest really is the wealth of information about the reception, transmission, recirculation of medieval manuscripts and texts, what I'm calling curatorial history um, I think that there's more there, I think there's a lot of leads um, Leading up, you know, that, that can give us more information about these heralds who, for a time, were guardians of the manuscripts. Thank you.